Well, good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. So good to be with you. Our scripture today comes from the book of Mark. We're reading all of Mark during Lenten season. I hope you've been able to uh, join last week. Pastor Anna kicked off the series. Uh, there's a reading plan you can find online. We are, you know, now what, we have four or five chapters in and just really excited to be walking through the gospel of Mark from now until Easter. Our scripture comes from Mark 4, verses 1 through 20, the parable of the sower, as it's uh, been called in church history. Uh, here is the word of God. Again, chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large, he got into a boat and he sat in it and out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell in good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away. And the word that was sown in them is gone. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce the crop. Some 30, 60, some 100 times what was sown. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for uh, just this story from Scripture about seeds and soil and growth and obstacles. And God, we know for many, it's a story we've heard before, but we would ask God in faith that you would tell us something new in our own life as we think about what it means to be fruitful, what it means to, to grow, what it means to be healthy. And God, ultimately, would you use this message in order to bless and encourage your church? We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So uh, I, I said at the top, we are in this series on Mark. We'll be here for the next six or weeks or so. Uh, excited to be in it um, because it's really helpful for me as a pastor uh, to be leading this charge through a gospel, encountering the words of Christ so that we would all be on this trajectory of growing into healthy things. I read this book over Christmas break, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And I was so struck by just some of the core encouragements about maintaining healthy discipleship that I've been sharing it. I'm reading it with the lead pastor circle. I'm reading it with Bethany's council. Um, and in the book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, the author, Pete Scazzaro, tells a secondary story of neurologist Oliver Sacks. Now, Oliver Sacks was a British neurologist. He tells the story, Sacks says, of a patient in the 1980s by the name of Madeline. Madeline came to the hospital that Sacks was working at, St. Benedict's Hospital. 
uh, Madeline was 60 years old. Madeline was blind. Madeline had cerebral, uh, cerebral palsy. She was highly intelligent and she spoke with ease. She had a strong wind, but she had never moved her hands. She had been cared for her whole life. Uh, she was never taught to read with Braille. She had never uh, read a story. She had never fed herself. She had never participated in anything for her own growth or support. She said to the doctor, my hands are just lumps of dough. I can't do anything with them. My hands are useless. She had no memory of ever moving her hands. She was 60 years old. But this is where the story gets interesting because Sachs, as a neurologist, was startled. Hands and disability of the hands are not normally associated with cerebral palsy. And so through more testing, Sachs, in an appropriate way, not being careless, but he was convinced that the block that Madeline might have might have been more mental um, or even spiritual or emotional than just physical. He instructed the nurses caring for Madeline each day to put her food just out of reach from her. Madeline was extremely angry. She had spent 60 years being cared for. She demanded to be fed. She demanded somebody to do something for her. She was frustrated, but mostly she was hungry. And in a moment of exasperated hunger, she reached her hand out and for the first time in her life was able to feed herself. I'm going to come back to the story in a little bit, but what Sachs makes the point of is that this woman spent 60 years being told that she couldn't do something and the system around her kept her imprisoned in her disability because she was never trained to grow. And this is where I want to make a bit of the segue from this story from Madeline in 1980 to us in 2022. What do we need in our lives to grow right now? What do we need in our lives to be fruitful right now? And as we're reading the Gospel of Mark after this long season of COVID and, and all the things we've been through, we have an opportunity to be invited to grow. That like, I, I, I really want, as I'm preaching this message to you, for you to hear the words of Christ, not just like, oh, I've heard this one before, but that you would be part of the story. Because Jesus was constantly telling parables, telling story, living story in order to commission people to enter their journey, to enter into the life that he was calling them to, that he would be the God of the universe, the Lord of their lives, but calling them to participate. It, it's this divine mystery. At one level, we can do nothing to have anything to do with our own growth, trajectory, salvation, etc. It's all a gift. We're going to talk about that in today's parable. But there's this other thing that we run the risk in our churches today of raising up Madeleines, raising up people that don't know how to move towards Christ because of our discipleship breakdown in our communities of faith. And in this regard, this story from Mark 4 about how to grow and remain fruitful and just the promise of multiplication I think can be very hopeful. There's a lot of warning too. So there'll be some parts of this message that might make us feel uncomfortable as we kind of think about our own discipleship journey. But ultimately to be in Christ is to grow, is to be called to be changed, to be more and more like Jesus. And that's not just the professional Christians that stand on stages with cameras. That's all of us, that we're all 
challenged and given unique opportunity, let's not stay how we were because of Christ's power in our lives. Let's be invited to change. Recently, I watched Shawshank Redemption with my oldest daughter. And I love that line from Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. It's like Jesus is coming to us through Mark 4 today. Hey, get busy just growing towards me. We must grow. We must acknowledge there are obstacles. There are seasons where things don't happen. There there are setbacks, certainly. But if we're fully surrendered to Christ's lordship in our lives, there's an opportunity to grow and to be fruitful. And so that is really gonna be our big idea we'll align under today, that the nature of the follower of Jesus is to be so surrendered to the promises of Christ and his power that we are ushered in through our participation to being made ready to be changed into Christ-likeness. The power is God's, but he hands it over to us and invites us to participate. It's incredible. Our, our, Our message title today, I didn't even give that to you yet, is how to grow, learning from seed and learning from soil. And so we want to look at uh, all of these different aspects of Mark 4 in order that we, every one of us watching this message, would be encouraged to grow. That we would be answering these questions of what does fruitfulness look like for me? How might this change my relationships? What does God want to speak in my story that I would get busy living after Jesus? So let's dive in. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about today is the power of a good story and just why Jesus talks in parables. It's important only because those verses of like 10, 11, 12, where Jesus really unpacks the why of his parable teaching. So if we're gonna trust Jesus with the seed soil thing that's gonna happen next, let's just take a moment to talk about why Jesus did parables. You see there in your Bibles, Mark 1 and 2, also in 10 through 13, where Jesus says, This is how I teach. Jesus was outside the synagogue. He was on a boat, on the lake, in a a natural setting where his voice would carry, teaching to thousands. So it's interesting to me, is that because he's gotten too big for the synagogue? And so he's, you know, it's like, hey, I'm not gonna go there. I'm gonna go to this, you know, open air amphitheater. My hunch is something else that Jesus' teaching already didn't fit within the confines of the traditions of the Jewish synagogue. And so he was teaching outside. That should be an invitation to us, not just to get outside, which we should do, but to be reminded that Jesus wants to stretch us. He wants to change us. He doesn't want to leave us how we've been. He doesn't want to just give us the same old Christianity that we've been raised with some of us our whole life. He wants to speak to us outside the synagogue. So Jesus is outside the synagogue on the lake, speaking these words and lives are starting to change. Jesus is trying a a new approach in order that people would encounter his power, his transformation narrative. He doesn't just want to leave us as we were. He wants to make us into a new thing. He wants to make us into new wine. He wants to grow in us something that we just haven't been able to get there before. I am 47 years old and please hear me. I want to be different next year because of who Jesus made me to be. And I recognize my own flesh that just wants to just keep things the status quo. But I need Jesus to change me, to make me more like him. This is the power of the gospel in me to change me on this side of of eternity until I get to spend eternity face to face, face with Jesus. I want to be changed. So Jesus starts to unpack, like, this is why I teach 
outside the synagogue. He's encounter, encountering ordinary people and everyday humans to do something extraordinary. If you look up Mark 4 in the week ahead, you'll see that this word parable is used eight times just in this one chapter um, because it's really, Jesus kind of unpacking like his tactics. And it's really curious to me that when he's alone with his disciples and the others, he's got his like core group of people that are really leaning in. They get the deeper story. So the crowds get one level and then they go back to wherever they're going. But the people really hungering for Jesus that are leaning in, that are sticking around for the extra teaching or the, the next dose of what he might bring to them, that the hungry ones get fed, the desperate ones get encountered, that those that are saying, Jesus, teach me what you want to do, that Jesus never leaves people that come to him. He never leaves them hungry. He never leaves them unchanged. And if you're in a season where you're like, I just want more of Jesus, friends, lean into that desire because Jesus never leaves hungry people unfed. And so these, the ones that don't quite get the parable, instead of just walking off, they lean in and they get the secondary teaching. There's a primary teaching in verses three through nine. And then there's a secondary teaching in 14 to 20. So only the, the, the disciples that keep asking questions get that unpacking of the gospel. I think it's really important. And Jesus will say to them like, listen, really listen. He's encouraging the people following him to, to hear the story and then live the story or to ask like, okay, Jesus said it, but now how is it changing my story? How is it coming alive in me? It's really, really important that we kind of align into the fact that in our Christian discipleship, the power is not ours. The power is all God's. We respond to the power of God. We participate, but lest we never, never think that we can earn our way to, to Christ. This comes from 1 Corinthians uh, 3, where Paul would kind of explain where the real power of the gospel comes from. We respond to it, but it's not ours. Paul would say, 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 6, Paul said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God's been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is really anything. It's only God who makes things grow. The one who plants, the one who waters have one purpose and they'll be rewarded according to their labor. Our labor matters to the Lord, but we're co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. So Paul picked up on Jesus, this kind of Mark Forsower thing to just explain that, the, that God is the Lord of the harvest, that the power is of the gospel to encounter and to encourage and to change us. When I lived in Los Angeles, I wanted to be a professional storyteller. Heather and I moved down there. She started seminary and I wanted to work in Hollywood. And it's a longer story for another day, but I, I reached out to all my contacts and I finally got an interview and I got a job at Trimark Pictures working in the publicity department. But I didn't want to be in the publicity department. I wanted to be in the story department. I wanted to write story. I wanted to react to story. I started to do part-time script coverage, it was called, where I would get over the weekend 10, 12, 15 scripts and just make comments and hand it back to that department. I was trying to imagine a future where I was working in film for this power of story. Now, uh, about a year later, I found myself in a high school classroom teaching English. It was meant to be just for a couple of weeks, long story, uh, they needed a teacher to stay. And there was something about being with students in a classroom where I felt my own story coming alive. Like I wanted to be down in California and be writing stories, 
But then as I started to teach English and watch young lives kind of take shape, I realized this was a better story for me as I watched these lives change and I got to impact and spend a number of years teaching English. Now, still love story. And some of you are like, no, I am called to the arts, to writing stories, to making film. I love that. That's wonderful. The point isn't that teaching is more valuable than filming. It's not, no. The point is our story matters to God. And when our story is impacting other people in their journeys, oftentimes we can feel more joy and more peace and more truth. And so if you're in a season of discernment, kind of vocationally, continue to ask the Lord of the harvest, where do you want me, God, to have my story come alive? And how can my life impact the lives of others? The power is God's. We get to participate in it. Let's continue on to talk about the details of this parable, the parable of the seed, parable of the sower, parable of the soils. It's got all these different things. Um, Listen to just how Jesus teaches it again. Listen, farmer goes out to sow the seed. He's scattering the seed. We're we're only gonna hear about the farmer once, the sower. It's really about more than the sower. It's about the seed. It's about the soils. It's about how to grow. So the sower was scattering seeds. Some fell along the path. Birds came, ate it up. Some fell in rocky places, did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly. Soil was shallow. You see these different levels of growth that Jesus is giving. Uh, it sprang up quickly, soil was shallow. When the sun came, the plants scorched and they were withered with uh, no root. So they had a little bit of growth and then they died. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. So the, the seed did grow, but it ultimately later in its cycle, it was choked out. They did not bear grain. And then finally, real growth happens. Other seed fell on good soil. It came up and produced the crop 30, 60, 100 times multiplication. So there's three different seeds there. One multiplied 30 times, a different seed 60 times, another seed 100 times. So there's really like six different pictures of seeds happening here. Jesus says, whoever have ears, let them hear. So again, I just mentioned this, but uh, it's called in Christian discipleship, parable of sower, other people, teachers call it the seeds. So there's a lot going on here, but it's really a story about growth that how do things come alive? Where do things bear fruit? How do we move from not getting eaten by a bird to I want to have a multiplication life a hundred times? I mean, I don't even like birds. The idea of like my life being like plucked by a bird, I already have that like, you know, thought sometimes. I may have told you this story. Some of you haven't heard it before. I have had an owl dive bomb me twice on a jog, like put its talons in my ear, frightening stuff. So this story feels real to me in some regards, but this is a story about growth, about life, about the power is God's, but we get to participate. And it's Jesus just saying like, hey, I don't want you just to sit there. I don't want, he's telling this story to common farmers. Like he could probably point to like actual fields around the Sea of Galilee where he's teaching. He's like, like that seed over there, like that rocky place. He's telling a story based in the, the environment these people were already living in. But he's like, I don't want you to get plucked like a bird. I want you to grow. And these people likely would have heard both warning, but also incredible encouragement that this is what it's, This is what it's about, the power of God coming alive in us, the power of God. And Jesus is like, I am that seed. 
I am the good seed. I am the good farmer. I am, I am the good soil. Just come and be with me. He's constantly preaching a story of transformation that yes, would redeem blind people and deaf people and mute people. But his story was for everyone to say like, you can be changed if you follow me. That's what it's all about. The second part of Mark 4, I'm not really gonna teach much of it, but it's these different stories of transformation, a lamp on a stand, a seed in the night. Like Jesus is just telling all through Mark 4 about, I want you to change. I want you to encounter a power that you can never encounter on your own, that you can never earn on your own. And if you get there and if you participate in this indwelling power of Christ, it has the ability to change everything for you everything. We're not playing games here, friends. We're not just being religious, checking a box. Jesus is saying, there is this power that can change everything. In verse 26 of Mark 4, Mark records a parable that's interesting to me only because it only shows up in Mark. Uh, You probably heard last week that Mark is the shortest of the gospel. So it has just less stories and less details, but he has, an, he has a parable in verse 26 that's only told in the gospel of Mark. Let me read this next part. Is it's just this power of God to come alive in us and change us. Uh, Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed in the ground, more seed stories, but it's a different one. Night and day, whether the man sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts, the seed grows though the man does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk and then the head and then the kernel and the head. It's a full growth cycle. As soon as the grain is ripe, the man puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. This is super interesting, not only because it only shows up in Mark, but Mark is just encouraging us like, you're not the seed. You're not even the sower. You're not gonna be all the soils. Like your, your job is only to, to just be faithful to what God has planted in you already and, and keep the distractions at a minimum and keep yourself participating in the surrender of your life to Jesus. And then there's this promise that that power has the power to, to not just like we hear it, but then we believe it and then we become fruitful. It comes alive in us. 30, 60, or 100 times. So powerful. The power is God's, it's not ours. This is what God said uh, through the prophet Isaiah, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and did not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So the reality is, Jesus is saying, like verse nine, Mark four, if you have ears, hear. If you want the power, participate. Go from hearing, do you hear? Do you really hear, Jesus said? I want you, Jesus is saying, to listen. I have power available for your life, but you're gonna need to really listen. When I was a kid, uh, I had ear problems. So like stories about hearing and listening feel personal to me. Uh, I was, I think, five years old when I took a Q-tip and I popped my eardrum. 
extremely painful. It set off years of eardrum surgeries and my ears were really susceptible to getting ear infections. So the doctor told my parents in the time, 40 some years ago, to uh, keep water out of my ear canals. So if I would swim or be anything in the water, uh, I had earplugs, I would often lose them. We would make earplugs with Silly putty. Now, some of you are like, what's silly putty again? Some of you have, like done old school, like, you know, silly putty is just putty that you stretch and pull, whatever. And our family kept silly putty around. And whenever I'd go swimming, I would make these makeshift earplugs and jam silly putty into my ears to keep the ear out. I keep the water out. Sorry. Now, this incredible thing happened that was uh, extremely painful because a couple years into this cycle, I kept getting these extreme earaches. Like, you know, some of you have been through bad earaches where they're like, you can't almost stand. The pain is inside your brain. We went to a few specialists and people kind of looked around, whatever. And we finally got recommended to a specialist in Seattle and we drove up and, and saw, I don't even remember the, much about the appointment, but I do remember the tool was a vacuum, a high powered thing that came down from the ceiling and it vacuumed out my ear canals. And lo and behold, where the ear infections were coming from was months or years of tiny little particles of silly putty that got jammed way inside my ear canal and started to make a block, an obstruction. I had like, you know, very little hearing in one ear, impact in the other, not because my ears were bad, but because there was too much stuff left in them. My parents were great. There's a few like, what kind of parents would allow silly putty to stay? Like, again, just nobody tried to do this, but it just happened. And once the silly putty got in, it wanted to grab other little bits of silly putty and... Afterwards, there was such incredible relief and the doctor showed me what came out of my ear. It was mind-blowing. Jesus says, be watchful of the things that are blocking your ability to hear me, to really hear me. Because you are in the story. Remember what Jesus says? There will be stones in the soil that will become obstacles. There will be other things that will like thorns try to choke out. The seed is good. The power of God is there, but there is this thing around us in our culture that can be like silly putty blocking our ability to live in freedom of God. So that's what Jesus' big warning is. I want you to really hear, and that's where we're going to end, where Jesus kind of talks about the point and the purpose of this parable here, kind of verses 14 on, the, the power of the soil that it's really, the yield that's available to it is really just its readiness to hold seed and, and to take other distractions and try to push them out and being surrendered to the seed. Uh, starting in verse 14, Mark 4 kind of wraps up this whole parable by saying the farmer sows the word. Remember, he's teaching his inner circle. They're getting the double teaching. Now he's explaining. Farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where word is sown. When they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. God doesn't do that. Satan tries to do it and it's happening all the time. Still is. The next thing, others like seeds sown on rocky places, they hear the word at once. They receive it with joy. I'm, I, I'm, I'm loving you, God. I'm tracking with you. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, because it will come, Jesus says, 
they fall away. Still others are like seed sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and they choke it out. They can't hear God speaking anymore and they become unfruitful. But others like seed sown on good soil, they hear it and they accept it. And then they produce this incredible fruit, this incredible crop. So the invitation, says Jesus here, is that you're invited to hear and to believe and to bear fruit, to to be receptive to the power that is inherent in the word of God. And when obstacles come like stones, when, when, when things come up that want to choke out like thorns, that we would that we would remain in Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. So there's this encouragement. There's a promise that what we do flows from who we are, but we must be rooted in Christ. We must be. So these four pictures are actually like four levels of like, where are your roots at? How how goes it in the state of your soil? The stuff under the surface, not the skin deep, like, What's the status of your soil? That first picture of like, there's a path in a field where Jesus is saying that some hearts are hard and some journeys have been tough. And these are kind of no growth people where they just won't let God work in their lives. Some people read this story and like, why was the sower throwing it on paths anyway? Is that reckless? It's not. Like the way farming was done in first century Palestine is narrow fields so an animal could walk back up and down. They were certainly, or most uh, often tended by a single animal, animal. So there were fields running through good soil all the time. So Jesus is just warning us that some people, they, their, their heart's just not ready. And the seed is good. The power is there. But if there's not a surrender of the soil, there's going to be no growth. The second kind of level of growth that Jesus says is about these rocky places because Jesus warns us, some of us are really shallow. We have shallow discipleship. This would be small growth people, shallow growth people. It's almost confused with like, hey, they're fruitful. they're, They're responding. But over the long haul, they stop growing to Christ. They stop. And that's where Jesus is saying a warning to all of us. Like, it's not enough to just grow in a season. And certainly God has patience for us when we kind of stall out. But the encouragement to Jesus, he's trying to woo people back. Keep growing, keep growing. In Jewish fields in the first century, there was often a layer of rock just under the surface. So many plants would experience this quick growth, explosive growth, but not long lasting growth. Your ability to bear fruit over the long haul will be determined by the depth of your rootedness in Christ. So that when troubles come, we just did eight weeks on Job, hard things do happen. We have a root system to support us because difficulties will arise. The third kind of piece on growth, now there's a little more growth, but this is the thorny ground. And Jesus just warns us some hearts are distracted or divided. There's so much division in the church right now and in our families and in our, in our own hearts. Jesus just warns like your growth in Christ will be stunted if you're constantly divided, if you're constantly not able to experience unity of your spirit and your purpose. So he just says there's three types of thorns that get most people stuck where that your roots stop growing. You're anxious and you're worried. Jesus says, remember in Matthew, he's like, 
Like, don't worry, I'll provide for you like flowers of the field, like birds of the air. So he said, three things mostly become thorns. And I don't know which of these might feel relevant for you, but there's worries or there's the deceit of money where money just kind of comes in and just like, we say like pursuing God or pursuing a path towards more money. Or he says, desire for other things. A little bit nebulous, but Jesus is just saying, ultimately there's a choice. If you want to bear fruit for the kingdom at times, you're going to have to opt in and participate more fully. We, we, we know these thorns of worries and money and other things want to choke out the good roots. But Jesus is just encouraging us, be fully rooted, be these good soil people where your heart is ready to grow, where you can hear and accept and bear fruit. And then just the promise, 30, 60, 100 times, it's good news. Like when we participate to just be surrendered in our life to Jesus, he's like, it's good news. I'm gonna do good work in you. I'm gonna do good work through you. I know you're worried about your kids or your roommates or your spouse or your parents. And he's like, you gotta trust me because if you're rooted in me, those troubles will come and thorns will rise. I'm gonna be good to you. I'm gonna grow something strong in you. It's really encouraging. We don't have to be scared that we're going to be a rocky soil overnight or oh, I gave into that thorn of worries yesterday. It's like, yeah, me too. But we're going to just be called back to surrendering so that the status of our heart is a surrendered one, trusting the power of God in our life. That's where the change happens. That's where the invitation to participate in God's powerful work in our lives. He doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants us to change. He wants us to be living a great story. He wants our faith to come alive. He's hoping that we take this 30 or 60 or 100 time journey, that we would multiply our joy, our hope, our love, our relationships, that there would be a sweetness and a goodness by God's power in our life. May it be so. That 1980 story of Madeline who went from lumpless you know, balls of dough, feeling like she couldn't move her hands, she learned how to participate in what God was doing in her life. She began to feed herself. And one day she asked for clay and nobody knew because she was in her 60s. She started to make these incredible sculptures. She became famous in the region around St. Benedict's Hospital as the blind sculptress, no longer identified by what she couldn't do, but aware of of who she was, she started to create incredible art. That was the end of her story, much more beautiful. That was a hundred times how she came to the hospital, a hundred times greater than how when she finally left. I don't know what God wants to say to you through this story, but know that your story matters a great deal. And we know that growth has been very hard for all of us over a long haul. May this be a season of encouragement and awakening and growth as you participate in the life that God wants to grow in you. Would you pray with me now? Lord, thank you for this message and this moment and this time. Would it be so, God? Would you grow in us more faith, more healthy relationships, more hope, more goodness, God? Like we know that you want us to change the world out there, but we know that where that begins is you need to change the state of our own soil. 
And so help us surrender our hearts. May we turn every day to you and not to the other worries of this life that choke out your good word. God, would you teach us to hear you again and really hear you again, God, in order that our life would bear great fruit. We love you, God. In your name we pray, amen.